Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. So, we're going to continue in 1 Peter, and tonight we're going to be talking about a song, a moral universe, Ikea furniture, and a baptism, okay? Before we go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be going to chapter 3, verse 13, finishing the chapter, but we just last week came off of Peter talking about a psalm, and I want you to turn to that psalm, and so I want you to turn to Psalm 34, Because Peter has just quoted this psalm, and remember that this is a song, and the song that has been written by David, I think gives us insight into what we're going to be looking at here tonight. In Psalm 34, starting, we're going to read the whole psalm. Verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall not be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. One of the things we see in this song is this distinction that God is actually for some people and then he's actually even against other people. It talks about the righteous. He talks about the wicked. In verse 14, it says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I love that idea. Pursuing peace. I'm going to hunt it down. I'm going to find it. I'm going to track it till I find it. Usually we think peace is something you wait to come to you, but actually you have to go out and search for it. But this idea of good and this idea of evil, we start seeing this contrast that is there, that God is looking towards those who are good, but he is shunning those who are evil. And so what what we see in this song is that we are living in a moral universe. We are living in a universe where the God who is the creator, who has set everything in motion, sees things that are good and he sees things that are evil. And we understand this, I mean, because we live in this as well. A lot of people say, well, it's all relative, you know, it doesn't really matter. But when it comes down to the choices we make in our lives, we always decide what things are good. And we always want even things that are good to be really forced upon one another. Not too long ago, Costco had, I don't know what it was, they had something that had fecal matter in it. And so there was a recall on one of the things. I forget what it was. It was a while ago, but I remember it distinctly because I remember thinking, did we buy any of that? And, and and so there was like too high of this level. And so there was this recall. Now, if this wasn't something that we were concerned about, we wouldn't care. We would just say, oh, well, you know, let it happen, you know, because that stuff happens. But that's not what happened, okay? No, there was a recall because we don't want people to get sick because that would be a bad thing. And so we have all kinds of boundaries that we set that are good and that are bad. And we live in a universe that has those same things, that God has this understanding of what is good. And it's always connected to who he is and his character. And then we see that the, those who are evil, those who are against the righteous, that they will not be remembered because God is the story that will continue. And if they're not a part of his story, their story at one day will fade away. And, and so having this understanding of the song that Peter has just quoted, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 13. This is right after he just quoted from this song. And he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ, 
the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Ordinarily, we would say you should suffer for doing evil and you should get rewarded for doing good. But here Peter says it's better in this place where you are being challenged, where, where people are questioning your belief. It's better if you're suffering for doing good. Because if, you get, if you're suffering for doing evil, that's what should happen. But if you suffer for doing what is good, then what's happening is you are standing out and you're actually doing what we just read in the Psalms. You're trusting that God will take care of this because if this is a moral universe, then God will work this out that it will evolve to his desired will and not that of those who are opposed to him. And so Peter is leaning into this understanding that God is there, God can be trusted, and if you suffer for doing good, you are now an example. You are now going to stand out. The example is that of Christ. It is that uh, in line with the creator. You, you are going to be a mirror of what God is to the people who are around you. And so it's important that we recognize that we are not just trying to do things so that we're doing the right things. We're trying to do things that are in line with how God is doing things because we want to be a part of the story that God is perpetuating because that is the story that has meaning because that is where we will not be ashamed. That is where we will find his presence, his favor. That is where the blessing is in spite of the difficulties. And so after reading the psalm and we saying the Lord is going to deliver us out of all the troubles, and we think of, well, what about the people we know who are going through difficult times, who are suffering with cancer, who are struggling, uh, who are homeless, who are uh, you know, displaced because of hurricanes or whatever it is? How, how do we deal with those kinds of things? How do we kind of put these things together? That God is going to deliver them out of all their troubles but we see them in what seems to be troubles. And so what we're trying to do here is put these pieces together. And what Peter is helping us to see is that even when you suffer through the troubling, you can be on the side that brings the blessing, not only to your life, but to the people around you, because you are in line with what God is doing. And it is the example of Christ. And I've always thought verse 15, you know, this has been one of my like favorite verses. I don't know how many of you grew up with Walter Martin, the Bible answer man, but this was one of his verses. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
yet do it with gentleness and, and respect. The idea of make a defense is that word we get apologetic from. It's I'm going to make a defense. And I've always thought of it as meaning that, you know what, I'm going to know all my information. I'm going to get my facts down. I'm going to be able, when they ask me about, you know, inerrancy of scripture, evolution or miracles, you know, I'm going to have all that information. But really, that seems kind of out of context what is happening here. What it really seems like Peter's trying to do is say, have a reason to answer that I am doing things the right way according to the God who is over all. In other words, I'm suffering for doing good because I believe in a God who is good. And that that is your defense. Well, why are you suffering? Why are you going this through this? You know, and aren't you a person who believes in Jesus? Well, yes, that's why I'm going through this, because God did this. And he's going to go through and give us more of the example of Christ, but that's what he's been doing all along. As Christ suffered, leaving for you an example that you should follow in his steps, who when he was reviled, did not revile back, but instead entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, this is a defense for why we live the way we live. Because Jesus did, because Jesus was the image of God. And so this is our defense. We're trying to be like God. Because we believe God is good. And we believe that God wants us to live this way. And so, yeah, I think it's great having understanding on evil and good and, uh, you know, the scriptures and, and inerrancy and why we believe. I think all those things are great. But I really think what's important is to have the conviction that we are living in line with God and who he is and what he wants to do. And no matter what happens in our lives, we are not moved because we're with God. And so we can go through the difficulties, we can go through the hardship, we can go through persecution, and we can still have faith. Because Jesus did it, we are doing it, and that is our defense. That is why we are living the way we're living, with hope that we have. And so it's really important that we understand that We are living this way, and I love at the end, with gentleness and respect. Because again, this is the picture of Jesus. Gentle, respectful. He wasn't out to try and prove himself right. He was out to try and win the hearts of mankind. That's what we are trying to do. I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm trying to win a soul. I'm trying to see people connected to God, not see me as right and them wrong. It makes no difference if they're wrong and they don't start living in the way that is right, according to God. So that's what we want. We want to see them move to this place of relationship with God, not just say, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. Yeah, your argument's better than my argument. That does nothing. And so respectful, being gentle, that is the way to do it. Now let's read the rest of this, verses 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So again, we're seeing here, Christ suffered 
the righteous for the unrighteous. This is our example. We are going to live not for ourselves, but for others who was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through water baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to god for good conscience through the resurrection of jesus christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of god with angels authorities and powers having been subjected to him have you ever built something from ikea bunk beds, dressers, whatever it is, and you get the instructions, right? And and you should be able to just follow the instructions, but sometimes like there's a million pieces. And if you miss one of the steps, sometimes it just seems like, well, wait, I know this goes here and this goes here, but then at the end, you've got this little piece and it's like, wait, where does this piece go? Or you put something together before you put this piece in and now you can't put it together, right? And you, so you kind of have this idea, Ikea puts something out there and you try and follow the directions and it's just like, wait, this doesn't make sense. I don't have enough of these pieces. Or wait, this one looks like this one. Is this one the right length? Am I supposed to use this screw here or this screw here? Because it says this number, but I can't tell if that's an L or if that's an I, and, and you're trying to put it together and I, you know, you get to that place and you get it almost all assembled and then you find out, oh, three steps back, you were supposed to add this. And so now you've got to take it out. And as you start undoing it, the screw strips and now it no longer holds to the wood. And so you're stuck. Anyone else been there? That's happened to me on a few occasions. And, and it's so frustrating because it just seems like, wait a second, how does this work? I'm trying to put these pieces together and I've got these pieces that don't seem to fit. That really is kind of how this part of the book feels, right? We're reading all about Jesus suffering. We suffer with Jesus. And then all of a sudden he comes to this place where he says, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. It's like, what? What are you talking about here? You know, and, and formally the, because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. It's like, what's going on here? And it's kind of one of those classical, you know, dilemmas. It's like, I've been putting things together and now something doesn't seem to fit. And that's really a lot of the feeling that I I get from this portion of the scripture. And I'm not alone. Going through the commentaries, there's so many people say, this is one of the toughest passages in all of the Bible. And I'm thinking, great, I'm going to be teaching on that tonight, you know. And and so when you start approaching something like this, okay, what is this? And there's really four things here that kind of seems that are just happening, we understand that suffering is going to happen and it will happen unjustly by governments, you know, by masters, whatever it is, like it did to Christ. Okay, I get that. I, I get those things. But these four other things he adds. One is after the death of Jesus, he made proclamation to the spirits in prison. 
That's one of the things he talks about. Two, he said, these spirits had been disobedient in the days of Noah. Three, Noah's building of an ark to rescue his family points forward to baptism. And four, baptism is less about washing clean and more about the appeal to God for a good conscience. So those are four of the things that he presents. And those are four of the things I'm going to try and like put together. But before we jump into some of these things, we should remember, we need to remember that this passage is basically all about the encouragement of people who are likely suffering from unjust treatment, from human authorities, from government, not just, in other words, they're, they're, they're not just being persecuted by a mob, they're being persecuted by people who are over them. It's persecution. They're doing what's right, but the people who are over them are treating them bad because of it. That's really the context. And we have to hold that in mind as we move forward. Because these four elements, which seem strange to us, actually add further dimension to what he is trying to convey here. Because he's already talked about these authorities, the human authorities. But you see, in their minds, these human authorities embolden a spiritual influence. And so one of the things that happens is something that is historical. From first century Judaism, First Enoch was a popular book in the writings. And a lot of what is being said here mirrors portions of what was written in First Enoch. And so it was popular writing that spoke about spiritual beings at the time of Noah that rebelled against God. Peter, with this story in mind, is saying that there is Victory in Christ, even in the spiritual domain. So Jesus just didn't die on a cross, but the resurrection was something that was spiritual, that has authority now even over the spiritual influence like you have read about in First Enoch. So that these people are thinking, man, these people have, you know, this power over us. There's some evil, dark spiritual element that is controlling the government and is working. And Peter is saying, Jesus is over that. Now think about today and how relevant that is as we say, oh man, there's so many evil forces and things going on today. And, and our minds can start going there and it's not saying they aren't there, not saying they are, but here's the bottom line. Jesus is over that. See, that's what he's trying to get to. Don't worry about that because Jesus's life spirit is actually over that spirit. He, he proclaimed to them, preached to them. He is over them. So those things that they read about, those spiritual you know, wickedness that took place at the time of Noah, those are the things that are happening over the government still, just like it was in the days of Noah where there is this evil that was a part of the mankind and, and all that was taking place. It's happening here with the Roman government, with some of the people, some of the beliefs the pagans have. It's oh, this dark spirit and Peter saying, you know what? Jesus is over that. So you don't need to worry about that because he's actually over this as well. That just as the Messiah suffered and conquered the grave 
and rose again, all authority is his, even over every spirit. And so he's wanting us to recognize that Jesus is over all, that these spirits and the day of Noah had no effect to you who belong to Jesus. That the suffering you're going through isn't because there is a stronger spirit at work. The spirit of Jesus is over them. And he's wanting them to know that. And then he moves forward and talks about baptism. It was a widespread belief among the Jews and the pagans that the ark, Noah's ark, rested on a mountain in ancient Turkey. It wasn't just the Jews that believed this. A lot of the pagans believed this as well. And since the story involved people being rescued through this great flood, it's fairly an obvious picture of baptism. But baptism, the thing which marks out the Christian publicly from the world, isn't just a matter of being made clean from the former life that we had, though it kind of can look like that. But it's really precisely because it functions as a boundary marker. It's setting in place where we are as a community. In other words, we now identify our place with Jesus. It shapes the confrontation that has to take place. If you're a follower of Jesus, there has to be a stand between the community in the watching world that believes one way and you who are putting your faith in Jesus. And baptism was that. And so Peter is talking about that kind of picture where I want you to understand what you're doing. You're, you're making a commitment to this way of life between that and the world. And Peter has already said in verse, in verse 16, he talked about this. He said, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Okay, your standing with Jesus, how you live your life, you are making a commitment to him. The baptism is a symbol of that commitment. And it shows up in this area that baptism provides the ground, not through the baptism, but through Jesus's death that forgiveness of sin and the good conscience which means that when the confrontation happens, the follower of Jesus doesn't need to be ashamed because he's standing in the right place. And he's standing in the place with that which will survive. And it's a willful choice that we're making. We need to know that when facing trouble or persecution, that Jesus, the Messiah, has fulfilled the hope of Israel by defeating all spiritual powers in the world, the ones who were responsible for the wickedness, the corruption of ancient times as well as present times. And it may not look like it to those who are facing the suffering at the time then or even now. It doesn't look like things are going well, but the baptism places them alongside the Messiah in victory. The resurrection from the dead coming out of the water, it places you on the side, even as Noah survived, you are with Jesus 
you are in that place of victory. And it'll be played out to the world one day, which they are being witnesses of. They are taking a stand saying, I am going to identify with this. And so even though this seems obscure to us, if we look back at the things that were prevalent in their history, the stories that were influencing them that Peter is talking about, really he's kind of just point, putting these things in that way. That he's telling them, hey, listen, you've got to suffer. Let me, it's, it's not something unusual. There is no spiritual influence that is different, that Jesus isn't over. And just like Noah survived, even the spiritual wickedness at that time, you are on the side of victory with Jesus. And it's making that stand with Christ that gives us that place. So there's a video I wanted to show you guys. I liked this one. If you guys haven't seen me. I love that video. I love the conviction. I'll do it. Can't wait. I'm going to do it. And you see, really, Peter is trying to mark us with this willingness to identify with Christ, to be able to say, I'll do it. You know, there are a lot of Christians today who need this understanding that, you know, they don't think that God is with them because of the difficulty that they're going through, that they have a different story in their mind that the devil is beating them and they're on this losing side, that there's some spiritual force against them that's oppressing them and making things the way they are. And those of us who maybe don't think, you know, God is with us or don't think that things are going the way God wants them to need to understand that what we're doing is lining up with the God of the universe and what he has set in motion through the person of Christ, that we are identifying with Jesus, that we'll be together in prayer through the times that are hard, but we trust in what he has done that we recognize this is what we need, is this identification. What we need is to be in this place that Christ has made for us and that has been demonstrated through baptism because it is the world that we live in. There is good and there is evil. And we are living in the world where there is evil. But what we're going to do is stand for the good in spite of it and we'll be persecuted for the good and we'll give defense saying, I am here because I am standing with Jesus. I am marking my life with Christ. I am making a willful choice that no matter what the persecution is, this is where I belong 
and it is the good place. It is the victorious place. It is the place that will lead to life. And I'm going to pursue peace here. And I'm going to seek God here. And I'm going to acknowledge Christ in my life regardless of the things that are taking place. Any questions on these unique verses? Any, well, let's pray if there's no questions. Father, I do pray that you would help us to see your goodness throughout the times of suffering. And Lord, even as the people at the time Peter was writing this can question, Lord, I know we can question, what did I do wrong, God? Why am I this way? Satan is just beating me up, just having victory over me. But Lord, that doesn't have to be the case. You are alive and have preached life above every spirit. God, that you have marked our lives with your own and we have identified that even in baptism, God. That our conscience could be clear, that we can know that we're in right standing with you because of what you have done. And we don't have to to worry about doing something better. If it is your work that has brought us into the family, we cannot take ourselves out by our own work. We rest in what you've done, period. And so I pray that we would have that confidence, Lord, that we would live in this understanding of the universe and that we would encourage each other who are going through times of difficulty, times to suffering, Lord, that their life can still trust God, that they can still magnify the Lord, that they can still taste and see that he is good even in these difficult times, that you are present, that you are at work, and that life can surge through our beings in the most difficult time because of you. And I pray that be a reality in our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.